This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, this is a Future of What single. If you want to get the whole thing, visit our website at KillRockStars.com slash The Future of What. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. Since 2002, Merch Table has operated and managed online stores for hundreds of successful musicians, record labels, comedians, artists, and small businesses. Big or small, set up shop today by visiting merchtable.com. I'm talking to Sherry Hu. Sherry, welcome to The Future of What? Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So we're talking to you today about an article that you wrote back in May for Forbes called Inside the Ongoing Quest to Get Music Curators Paid. And I'm interested in talking to you about this for several reasons. One is that it's just like a very interesting moment in history because this is like a new thing. Yeah. The other reason is because we've been talking for so long in the industry about how to get artists paid. So it's really funny that like actually now we're talking about how to get curators paid. Right. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, it's a different, that's a different angle. So can you just give us an overview of the article and tell us what you were writing about? Yeah, sure. So I was writing about a lot of companies that were coming up at the time that were trying to pay curators and tastemakers. And one key theme in the article was looking at just the range of tastemakers available. Like in marketing in general, there's been a recent trend towards targeting quote-unquote micro-influencers or social media personalities with very small but very engaged followings. So seeing how certain startups are trying to to monetize that on the music side. And so some of the key companies are Heard Well, which is actually a super interesting model where they, it's a traditional label model, I guess, but they sign influencers who then pick artists to put on their own compilation albums. And so there's there's a licensing element to that. There are also startups like Crosshair, which is based out of Nashville, and they pay tastemakers with a focus on micro-influencers to review songs. And it doesn't even require that they put them on their playlist on their social media sites, but it's just a way for artists to get feedback and then for these micro-influencers to get paid small amounts per song review in the process too. Yeah, we've spoken to Garrison from Crosshair, so we have a picture of what they do. I'm just really interested in the idea of compilations because Kill Rockstars has been around for 26 years and our very first release was actually a compilation and it had my husband's next door neighbor's band Nirvana on it. And that's kind of why that ended up being successful because it was just that time and place. Mm. But what's fascinating in your article is that some of these people I think heard well is one of them are actually advocating physical compilations, putting out physical compilations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, (laughs) especially, yeah, just because I feel like, yeah, especially in in the U.S. or in Europe generally, the modern consensus is that, like, streaming is the dominant form of music consumption. Physical sales continue to go down. But I think think Herdwell's thesis is that there are these sort of internet-first digital native, whatever you want to call them, social media personalities, and they build these really devoted followings online. And the next logical step is how do you bring that offline? So for an average musician, 
obviously live shows still comprise a huge part of their of the revenue and and merch as well merch continues to be an important revenue stream for a lot of artists and i think what herdwell is trying to propose is that the same is true for social media influencers for anyone who's building their career on the internet and building a following and wants to monetize that offline see i'm just i'm so fascinated by that because to me compilations sort of died I mean, we've done compilations for so long on my label and they kind of died like 10 years ago. And I really felt like putting out compilations was like a total dead end. Like we wouldn't waste our time doing that. And then it's so funny because like five seconds later, the internet and playlisting popped up and, you know, playlisting basically is making comps. That's all it is. I kind of was under the impression that the success of playlisting, though, was in the turnover, Do you know what I mean? Like Mm. you get like discover weekly, like you get a different playlist each week. Like I kind of thought that was the interesting part of playlisting, but this is so interesting because they're, they're saying that that's not the case. Yeah. And yeah, another interesting point that I discussed in my article, yes, house streaming is sort of the, it's at the end of the marketing funnel, I guess, for a release from these compilations. And I think they are really trying to target these diehard fans who would also buy things like pins with a logo from the YouTube channel or Instagram channel or whatever that they really follow. So first targeting those fans and then catering to the more casual lean back listener after the fact through these Spotify releases. So you, you mentioned a, an Amsterdam based startup collect.fm and they have a program called atmosphere. And you say in the article that most of the curators on atmosphere's roster are actually music professionals, like they're people who are musicians or they have radio shows or they run record labels. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if this is, you know, it's like if this show is is geared towards people in the music business and especially musicians who are trying to figure out how to maximize income streams, should we also be telling musicians that they should become influencers? <laughs> that They should try to curate their own playlists. You know, I, I, it's just an interesting thing because it seems like we keep adding hats that musicians have to wear. Yes. No, that's that's such an interesting point. And there are a lot of more critical articles that have come up. Like the most recent one that I read was by, by Liz Pelly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's an incredible writer. Yeah. Just talking about how for better or for worse, artists do have to become these sort of all encompassing brands. Cause I think, I think a reality, especially for Indian emerging acts is that your, your streaming income will be paltry and you need to supplement it with something else. So for, for these people mentioned in the article that ends up working directly with brands who are who are trying to tap into these emerging tastes. And it also raises an interesting question of whether artists who are trying to build their careers can be truly DIY or what DIY really means when growing your career involves working directly with these brands who might not otherwise be involved in the music business. That's an interesting point, too, that I think you're right. The Liz Pelly article is a great place to point people because, you know, it's like, what are we doing in music these days? Are we just curating playlists for, you know, Nike, basically? Mm. Like, are we basically just selling shoes with music? Like, is that is that what's happening? Right. And actually, you just mentioned Nike. I don't know if you saw the TechCrunch article about the United Masters launch. No. What's United Masters? So it's billed as a new social media analytics and music distribution company catered towards Indian DIY artists. And it has $70 million in VC funding from the likes of Andreessen Horowitz and Google and, and Alphabet. So the, the article that broke the news 
was published on TechCrunch. And this was not the perspective of the translation agency CEO, Steve Stout, but actually of, of the author, of the TechCrunch author himself. But he said that one of the key theses for United Masters is that an artist is like Nike. And that shouldn't be controversial. That should just be how any artist approaches their career. Like a song is just a commercial for the rest of your brand. And you have visual aspects of your brand. You have physical, tangible aspects, multimedia aspects, like just like Nike or Disney or any other, you know, clothing, fashion, media company would. And I, I know a lot of emerging and DIY artists who would really push back against that. They would prefer to just focus on making their art and being able to thrive off of just making their art. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting debate about like whether becoming your own Nike is sort of, you know, the, the paradigm for the future. Right. I mean, that is a really interesting point because there's an argument for that in the sense that you are your own business, you know, that every mm. every band is a startup to some extent, you know, you right. are your own business. And as such, you know, you have to think about things like image, you know, think about how you're coming across. But at the same time, you're making art, you know, you're not making a product. See, that's that's where we get into trouble, right? Because Art is supposed to be somewhat, you know, it's it's not supposed to be tethered to the physical world. You're not just making it because you want to make more money. So it's like, mm. you know, you say, oh, well, you guys didn't like that note. Well, I'll change it to a C or something mm. because people like the right. C better than, you know, whatever. You know, in other words, you're not tailoring a product to the market in in such a bald way. But, you know, there are people who argue that you are tailoring music to a market to some extent. You know, it's like you're trying to have fans. Mm. People want people to like their music. So, yeah, that is an interesting argument for sure. Yeah, I think you may have mentioned this already. But, yeah, just the, the rise of companies like Atmosphere is bringing the point home that, yeah, music is becoming more and more like context based and more like literally atmospheric. Mm -hmm. I, I guess is a good way to describe it in, ter in terms of how it's consumed. And the, the Liz Pelly article unpacks really well the rise of these mood playlists on Spotify and how that's really driving revenue for Spotify, the company. And there's a debate about whether that trickles down to the artists themselves, but yeah. Right. And yeah, I think we did an informal survey in our, in our office of Spotify playlists and like 70% of them had the word chill in it. Oh, really? It's like coffee and chill and <laughs> <laughs> chilling at the beach. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot about that. Awesome. Well, Sherry Hu, we've appreciated your time. Thanks so much for being with us on The Future of What? Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you so much. Did you like what you heard? Then subscribe to The Future of What, and thanks for listening.
That was Nothing is Easy by Marnie Stern.